0: Evidence and Answers. In the world of the occult, most people have heard of Satanism and witchcraft. But what is Christian occultism? How has the occult made inroads into the church? You are tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with your host, Pat Zukran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. In today's broadcast, Pat and his guest, Dr. Richard Howe, will discuss the world of the occult and explain the dangers of entering into this dark world. Now with part two of this message is our host and his guest, Dr. Richard Howe.
1: But the fact that there is this force that operates according to the spiritual law is common to all these groups that I would list as occult. And it really evacuates the spiritual life from from the idea of grace. I mean, you could imagine a child going up to a candy vending machine, puts in the quarter or swipes the credit card or whatever, and a piece of candy comes out. And nobody would say, well, isn't that nice? The vending machine graciously gave you a candy bar because you were so kind to swipe your credit card. You say, no, no, it just operated according to the laws of physics, right? But if the child went up to the parent and said to the mother, can I have dessert, and the mother gives them a a piece of uh, cake, well, that's a different kind of dynamic, isn't it? Because that's a relationship of love, uh, not just uh, the child pushes, pushes a button on the mother's stomach and she just gives up this piece of cake. So the occult really robs spirituality of the idea of grace and love, where we're supposed to relate to a personal God and trust God's will for us as our best. They treat it as if it's just an inanimate force that you can just learn how to manipulate and get the things that you want. And I think the last thing uh, that's that's common in the occult is this idea that all human beings in some form or fashion really are gods. It might be gods with a little g, but uh, they may describe it in a lot of different ways, but it's this idea that we're all divine. And so the purpose of learning these um, ways of controlling the force is really to sort of actualize your divinity and realize you're the arbiter of your own morals and the captain of your own fate. And there's nobody above you to whom you are accountable. And you see those three everywhere from flagrant Satanism to more moderate kind of witchcraft to the mainstream New Age and in the Word of Faith movement.
2: Yeah, Richard, you know, I see uh, power as a theme in the occult, that if I can do this certain ritual, then I gain power over this spiritual force that you're talking about or yeah if i can communicate with this particular spirit that gives me an extra sense of power i see that as a theme in the occult you see that as a driving force and attraction to the occult
1: absolutely absolutely it harkens back to the garden of eden where adam and eve sought to not do what god told them to do in terms of what they needed to know about his creation but decided to usurp god's authority by Setting themselves up as, uh, we'll just do what we think we should we should be doing, and and not really factor in God. And so sometimes this force is described in personal terms, like spirits, where you're. It's almost analogous to a farmer harnessing an oxen to plow his field. Well, the oxen is a little bit more uh, has a will of its own, so to speak, more than just the seeds that he plants in the field. It's sort of in between the seed and himself as a farmer, sort of this animal kind of thing, and we harness its strength. So by analogy, a lot of people in the occult will try to get in touch with spirits who supposedly can give them, say, insights into things that are beyond our ability to know and see because they can flit all around the world and see things and come and tell us, or maybe the future that can travel through time. So you, see, you very often see it personified in this as a sort of sentient being like a spirit are these great spiritual masters who have who kind of guard and watch over the world and so we try to negotiate with them. Other occultists just take that as metaphor and they think it just literally is like a force, like a gravity at the spirit realm, and you just learn how to to monkey with it and it makes you, you know, get it to do what you want. But it is a quest for power. And I would argue that even without using the word God This lust for power is our way as humans to try to be God himself, where we're trying to uh, be something beyond what he created us to be. And I think that's, you know, the perennial sin of back to the Garden of Eden.
2: Yeah. Now, you know, when a lot of us think of the occult, you know, we think of necromancy or witchcraft. But you state there are many faces of the occult. So tell us about some of the many facets, and faces of the occult.
1: Yeah, so when I teach, I actually teach a course at the seminary on new religious movements, and about half of the semester is just on the occult. And I catalog that in these four sort of, it's almost levels of how overt it appears. So what I call extreme occultism would be things like Satanism. Probably the most famous Satanists in America would be Anton LaVey, who purportedly wrote the book of, uh, of the, uh, the uh, Satanic Bible. It turns out large, large segments of the Satanic Bible he plagiarized mm. from an early, uh, late 19th, early 20th century work called Might is Right by Ragnar Redbeard. Mm. So it's not, it wasn't even original with him in the first place. And then uh, there's a probably the most significant sort of splendor group off of the original Church of Satan, is uh, the Temple of Set, with Michael and and Lilith Aquino, who have their sort of a satanic church. They just, instead of picking Satan as their motif, which is associated with Hebrew and Christian thought, they pick Set, S-E-T, which is more associated with Egyptian thought. And then that, they call themselves Satanists, but they're Setians too, they they use that. So that's kind of the stream. And interestingly, just probably within just the past two months, I did a Zoom a Christian group in South Africa, because the news is all abuzz that they now have their first satanic church in South Africa, the Church of Satan in South Africa. So we did a Zoom and they invited uh, anybody to come and join. And some of the Satanists actually joined the group to hear my Christian critique of Satanism. But then a more moderate kind of, of occultism is the witchcraft. It's a little bit more tame looking. Witches tend to be pacifists. They tend to be environmentalists. They tend to really have a lot of sort of uh, care about community. Satanists are more individualistic and self-aggrandizing. Uh, witches are, are just nicer in, in some sense, at least on paper. And, but it's the same, same worldview. You see people like Margot Adler, who used to be with the National Public Radio, who's an investigative journalist, probably wrote the definitive book on uh, paganism and witchcraft in America today called Drawing Down the Moon. She was a committed pagan witch. And there are lots of faces associated or associated with witchcraft, uh, G- Stuart and Janet Farah, Gavin and Yvonne Frost, Scott Cunningham, and others. And then you get, of course, in the New Age, a, a, what I would call mainstream. And there we could just go hours and hours on the faces. I mentioned Oprah. Probably Oprah's done more to promulgate New Age thinking through the uh, internet and prior to that just through broadcast than any other single american that i can think of i mean her the guest that she's had on more often than anyone at least the last time i checked was marianne williamson the former presidential candidate so to speak who was running for the nomination in her party marianne williamson is a is basically the john the baptist of an occult work called a course in miracles uh-huh. which yeah. is a book written by, we would call it automatic writing, a voice that spoke to this woman, Helen Schuchman, and she types this thing out. And it basically is the occult philosophy with a Christian veneer on the top. And she's had Eckhart Tolle do these large uh, symposiums, who is a New Age leader. And then the last one then is that Christian occultism with quotations around the word Christian. There's nothing really Christian about the word of faith movement except the terminology uh, they, they talk about Jesus they talk about God But the Jesus of the word of faith movement Is not the Jesus of the Bible and the God Of the word of faith movement is not the God of the Bible uh, and, it, and again My argument is and I know we don't Have time to just develop it all here But what I do in the course Is, is try to show this same worldview. they believe in this force They believe in the power that You can get primarily through speaking and you can harness this power, and that we are all gods. Uh, we're little gods with a little G, granted, but still we're divine in some uh, illicit sense of the term.
2: Hmm. Yeah, let's let's uh, take a look at you know the one we often think of, Satanism. Uh, when I've talked with Satanists, there are some that worship a being called Satan, but most of them I found just to be atheists and kind of want a antinomian, no law kind of lifestyle is that what you found absolutely absolutely i
1: think a lot of people would be startled to know that anton LaVey didn't believe in the existence of satan so the guy who founds the church of satan and wrote the satanic bible is an atheist he doesn't believe in the existence of satan he does believe in this magic as he calls it this force and that you can manipulate so people might ask well why do you call yourself a satanist you don't even believe in the existence of satan and the short answer is probably not surprising He basically said, look, the Christians regard a lot of things to be evil, like self-aggrandizement and self-satisfaction, pursuit of lust, revenge, uh, you know, grab all you can kind of attitude. He said, well, if that's satanic, then I guess I'm a Satanist. And so he embraced that as a sort of a metaphor, but he didn't believe there was an actual sentient being. But I mentioned Michael Aquino, that was a split off. That's one of the big difference between the Church of Satan and the Temple of Set Ah. is that Aquino does believe that he was visited by this sentient being who manifested himself in the form of the Egyptian god Set. It's almost like a satanic reformation. It's funny because they had a split, and then Set was telling him, you know, you need to just sever yourself from the Satanists. They've kind of gone afoul, and you need to kind of set things straight and start the real Sort of, I don't mean to make light of it, but it just seems sort of silly that these people were having such theological rifts emerge between them. But nevertheless, that's the Satan, the Setians do believe in this, this being. I think a lot of people that I've experienced that would identify themselves as, quote, Satanists, I'm not talking about people necessarily on the Internet, but just rank and file people you might run into. I think a lot of them don't really understand much about what Anton LaVey who wrote the Satanic Bible, or at least wrote parts of it, was even trying to say about life and what he actually believed. Mm-hmm. I think a lot, of, a lot of Satanists probably know as, as little about Satanism as a lot of Christians, unfortunately, probably know about their own Christianity, <laughs> which is why we need programs like yours to help the Christians, you know, be informed about the differences between what we're claiming as Christians and what the, what the world is claiming against us.
2: Yes. And then, you know, witchcraft, the witches that I've talked to, you know, the images we got is, you know, ladies in pointed hats flying around on a broom, eating little children and kind of things. But a lot of witches that I talked to, you know, you described them pretty well. They seem to be nature worshippers.
1: Yes. And so because they have such a view about the physical world or, or quote, nature, because they have that view, then they tend to be very pacifists and uh, animal lovers and environmentally conscientious. And so I think sometimes we as Christians may find that some of the concerns that they have is similar to the concerns that we may have. We certainly don't want to just be a wanton neglect and disregard for the environment. You know, I hope that Christians will, will not be that way. We just have different motivations for it. As a Christian, we would see our relationship to The animal world and the rest of the physical world creation is a matter of stewardship, that God has created us to be his representatives to the rest of the human community, but also in terms of stewards over his creation. Whereas the witches, the Wiccans, the pagans will tend to regard nature as as a goddess, as divine. And so that environmental uh, dereliction of duty is akin to rape in their mind. You have to treat the earth because it's like uh, Gaia's body. The whole Gaia movement, G-A-I-A, which comes from the Greek word gay, which is, which means earth. You get words like geology from that. So Gaia is like the goddess, goddess, and the physical sphere earth is actually her body. So a Christian and a Wiccan may be both wanting to recycle. But we do it for entirely different reasons, for entirely different agenda and such. But, yeah, in fact, I wrote an article, a cover story for the Christian Research Journal uh, called uh, Witchcraft, Modern Witchcraft That May Not Be What You Think. And I tried to argue that, you know, witches are typically very nice people, and they care about community, and they care about human flourishing. They just got the – they're looking for love in all the wrong places, so to speak. (laughs) They don't understand our having been created in the image of God and what our responsibility is to him. But I think there are ways to try to reach out to him based on some of the common concerns we have as human beings.
2: Now, Richard, where do psychics and astrologers fit in?
1: So I really believe, Pat, that a lot of what people might think about the occult is just false. It's part of the false view of reality. Satan is a deceiver. So, for example, I would even argue there is no force as is described in the occult. That's just a false view of reality. And likewise with things like psychics who supposedly are able to bend spoons with their power, their mind, or are able to discern the future, or these kind of things, I think is part of the deception. And a lot of that we get from Hollywood, I think, just the way movies have depicted it. And so the irony is... That people have a view of the occult, which is very often the occultist view of the occult, not an, a truthful view of the occult. Because I would argue there aren't psychic powers. That's, there is no such thing. That's not the way we were created to be as human beings. They just don't exist. There aren't spirit beings with whom we can establish rapport. There are spirit beings, but they fall into two categories, and that's good and evil. And in neither of those are we encouraged in the scripture to try to cultivate a relationship with. And I've often asked people well, when, that may be sort of enamored with the spirit realm and the occult, so to speak, Ouija boards or whatever. I ask them I say, well, do you think it's possible that there is an element of that realm that is malevolent? Because if they at least entertain the possibility, then uh, – and if you listen to some testimonies of people who got saved out of this – they go, "You know, it's not what I thought. There is something that's very sinister and dark. I think that's what we would describe as Christians and understands Christians to be the demonic realm. So I think demons can mimic things, give people information, and make the person think that they have psychic powers or they can bend spoons and it's not even what's happening. So it's just a false a false view of reality that we we have to I think disabuse people of.
2: Yes. Now, Richard, I want to, you know, you to elaborate on something you mentioned earlier. You know, what's the difference between true biblical spiritual warfare and when you're dabbling in occult worldview or even the animistic worldview?
1: Yes. Well, you know, there's no question that we see in the New Testament episodes of exorcisms, for example. Uh, Certainly, Jesus uh, drove a lot of demons out of people and the apostles did the same thing. In Acts, and we see this, but what is very conspicuous to me, and this is something Christians can disagree over, I don't know, but it would seem to me that it's conspicuous by its absence that in the letters that the apostles have written to the churches, what we call the New Testament, the balance of the New Testament after the book of Acts, uh, except for Revelation. But those epistles that are written to the Christians, this is what Christianity is. It seems conspicuous by its absence, of how little, in fact, nowhere, really, are we directed to be on this quest to cast out demons and do exorcisms and stuff. It's, it just isn't there. And I can't imagine that first century Christianity, in it being nested as it was in pagan Rome, wasn't surrounded by uh, demonic activities. We see that in the Gospels and Acts. Yet the apostles never really direct our attention. To that rather, as I tried to argue from 2nd Corinthians 10, the spiritual war is a war about truth. Jesus said, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Paul says in the second chapter of Philippians, Whatsoever things are true, that was the first of his list, think on these things. And then back to the 2nd Corinthians 10, it talks about uh, tearing down arguments and bringing thoughts into. Captivity of Christ so I see the apologetic Undertaking, that's really spiritual Warfare, we preach the gospel And then as we Are, are met with opposition We give our cogent arguments And evidence for the truth that God exists He has these attributes He's taken on in human nature in Jesus Christ and uh, He died for our sins and rose From the dead and we try to marshal the Evidence for that, that to me is spiritual warfare and uh Norm Geisler, who was my mentor uh, as I was a student of his at Dallas Seminary back in the eighties, he told me, he said he he never knew of any minister who went into deliverance ministries and made demon possession his main focus, who didn't eventually just go off to the deep end. And oh, just wow. get so you know, he just said it because it's just a it's the wrong, I think, kind of orientation. And you don't see it. You don't see the, the Paul telling the Corinthians, the Romans, now make sure you know every Friday night you have an exorcism service because you got to get these demons out. You go, no, you just, that's, that's between God and, I mean, I'll let him worry about the demons. What is our task? To go into the world and make disciples, to be ready at all times to give an answer to anyone, ask you a reason that is within you with meekness and fear. That's our mandate. And then just let the demonic realm chips fall where they may. Uh, that's not my that's not my agenda. I don't think that's our agenda
2: as Christians. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I teach world religions at the seminary here and at several churches, and sometimes I do what's called the temple tour. You know, I take uh, students or Christians in my classes to the different temples: the Hare Krishna temple, the Hindu temple, the the Buddhist oh, temple. And some are just absolutely terrified to walk in there. They see demons coming out of the statues. And, that's right. Um, yes. You know, and they'll see me walk in there, and I'll, I'll touch one of the statues. You know, and they'll just complete. They'll see demons jumping on me. You know, and I yeah. said, "Look, look, read the book of Isaiah. You know, he's mocking these idols. They're pieces of wood or that's something a exactly silversmith. Right. He he's saying these are nothing. You know, there's not. But that's they're right. Just completely afraid. And I mean, and, that's yeah. part of the deception. That's part of the deception because.
1: You know, uh, I used to do a lot of show-and-tell when I spoke on this subject a lot more at the peak of the rage over the New Age, and I would take show-and-tell, which would include things like the Satanic Bible. And so very often, probably more often than not, people would, would wince and get chill bumps, and they'd go, I wouldn't have that book in my house. And i go, but the thing is, okay, so you you'll never have a Satanic Bible, but I can take the exact same false view of reality – and put it in a different book, and you not only have it in your house, you probably study it at your church, and you never see the problem. So I think that's part of the deception that Satan wants people to think. Well, as long as you don't have a satanic Bible in your house, or you don't have a, a likeness of a pagan idol as a teaching thing like teaching world religion, as long as you don't do that, you're fine. And they go, no, you're not fine. All you've done is set yourself up for a subtle deception where the false view of reality does an end run because you're so worried about the physical book of the satanic Bible is as a physical book. I mean, they, they act like demons. They, they almost act as if demons are like fruit flies. You know, you leave a <laughs> banana lying out long enough. Then all of a sudden you see this little swarm. And so they're all, you think, well, how do you get rid of these fruit flies? Oh, you just throw the banana away. Okay. And then they're all gone. So I just got rid of all these, these uh, things that I, I you know, that, that I was using to teach, but I realized they were all surrounded by demons. I go, no, they're not I, I'll tell you one quick story if we have time. Yeah. I, I got a call. Now, when you live, back to the time I lived in uh, Mississippi, North Mississippi, small town. And uh, when you study the occult and the new age, you get a kind of a reputation as a, as a Christian, right? Because there's not a lot of people doing those kind of things. This would be back in the 90s, I think. And so I got a call from this, uh, this woman who said, uh, Hey, my sister lives now what we would call in Mississippi a trailer. Uh, others may call it a manufactured housing or mobile home. We all mean the same thing for, for the sake of this story. She says, my, my, my sister lives in a mobile home way out in the middle of nowhere in the woods, and it's haunted. She sees dark figures skulking about and when she's trying to fall asleep. Our appliances will come on by themselves. And we want to know whether if you would be willing to come to the trailer and bless it and get rid of these things. And I said, Look, I, I can't get rid of roaches in my apartment. <laughs> you know, so you're, you're, you're acting like these things are just little, little, pesty, little bugs that you somehow do some spiritual pesticide and they run off. I said, Here's the problem somebody comes out to her mobile home, does a prayer, sprinkles holy water, whatever they do. And let's say all that stuff quit no more skulking shadows, no more appliances coming over. And she thinks all of her problems are solved. But she will have never taken an inventory of how she stands before God, which is really the whole point, to keep her distracted from, well, don't worry about Satan. He's not even part of the equation. You worry about him who can destroy both body and soul in hell, and how
0: do you stand before We've run out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or perhaps hold an apologetics conference, give him a call locally in Hawaii. That number is 483-0586, or you may contact him through the Evidence & Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. To keep broadcasts like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate, head on over to our website. Once again, that's evidenceandanswers.org. And you may do so right there online on the homepage. You'll also find we have a wide variety of resources available to you. So be sure to share our website with those around you. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucran.